0: Folks, I'm going to just start out here with an apology. I'm sorry. I let you guys down last week. Kind of been letting you down a little bit as far as the number of episodes that we've been putting out. We've been purposefully building slowly towards the season. And last week just slipped up on us. And I'm sorry because we haven't been having regular enough talks. And I feel bad. It's kind of like that friend that you see every like seven or eight months. And then you really kind of lose the thread of what we were talking about before. Maybe that family member who's just like, so you still into bikes? Cool. See you next Christmas. That's not what I want us to be. I want us to be having regular conversations about the sport. I want us to be having regular conversations with people who are in the sport and talking about the events and the races and that all those good things. And when, I miss a week, it makes me sad, and I miss having all of you around, so I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. We are going to get down to doing much more regular episodes. I'm gonna make a game out of it for us, and we're gonna try to put an episode out every week from now on through the end of the summer, so the end of uh, Labor Day weekend. So who am I, what am I, what's going on here? My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows. WideAnglePodium.com is your source for the full bevy of shows that we have on the network. It's independent cycling content. It is independent cycling media. It's a thing that exists because we exist, and we need your help to keep this Whole thing running. We need your guys' support to do the work that we've been doing and keeping you entertained and informed about what happens in bike racing. The guest on today's show is Bill Scheichen, another wide-angle podium podcaster from Cyclocross Radio. Also does some work on the Grodio. Bill's the guy that I go to when I need to take a step back and talk about things on a systemic level. I tried to say that word like three times during the course of this episode and I screwed up. So here it is. I said it right. We're having a systemic conversation. We're going to talk about the NCL, talk a little bit about the ACC, the American Criterium Cup. We'll talk about the newly uh, talked about, discussed, referenced crit series that's supposedly coming our way sometime later this year and we talk about what happens at spartanburg or what did happen at spartanburg and some of the permutations that have kind of spiraled out of there this conversation is meant to be a catch-up what has happened lately we haven't talked enough lately we need to talk more i promise you we're gonna talk a lot more and we're gonna talk right now with bill scheichen about what we've missed over the last couple of weeks. we're doing that right now. It is always excellent to be joined by one of the OG cycling podcasters, one of the originals when it comes down to the independent cycling media world of Bill Shikin from Cyclocross Radio. Bill, how are you doing this fine
1: summery-esque afternoon? I am doing fine. I can, uh, I don't know, Rob. Where are you from again?
0: I'm from the great white north that is Chicago. So anytime we get a May day that the temperature is above 55 degrees, we just consider it summer.
1: Okay. Uh, That makes sense then. All right. Yeah, I've I've lived in some northern places, so I'm with you. This is like you know, it's it's 50, so it's short weather, right? It's definitely short and flip flop weather for
0: <laughs> anybody from Minneapolis.
1: <laughs> I remember uh, when I was early when I was still living in Minnesota, and I was uh, working for a West Publishing, and uh, they had the annual sales meeting in Arizona, and it was like in. April or something. So it's still it's still 30s, you know, <laughs> in in the twin cities and or even colder and they went down there and it was like this weird thing I think it was Phoenix and it was like rainy like in the 40s and everybody from all over the country was just like so pissed off at at the weather that it was so bad. And like all the people from the Twin Cities were like in shorts and T-shirts and in the pool and they were like, this is the greatest week ever. So it's all perspective.
0: Very much as, And that's a great segue to talk about kind of to get us to where we need to be today. We're just talking about perspective because you sent me a message a few days ago in which you stated your jealousy towards the crit racing world for the infusion of money in criterium racing. Suddenly the fact that there are now seven figure criterium racing leagues slash series slash discussions, you know, what was kind of the impetus behind that statement?
1: Just coming from the cyclocross world where if there is an influx of thousands of dollars then we go nuts amazing you know we got this series and and they're gonna double the prize money over 20 people we're gonna now have ten thousand dollars and people are just like this is this is we're doing it we're going in the right direction and then you look at these crit series and it's like just yeah what's i mean we'll get to the ncll ncl but it's like $700,000 being bandied about if things all fall into place for a team. It's just insane. It's like, I look at that money. I'm thinking this could save sport in other disciplines. You put that like on a national level into something like uh, cyclocross or mountain biking or something like that. And it's like this, this, it would be huge. And it's, um, yeah. But yeah, so good for crit racing obviously there's an appeal to it. So I'm, I'm 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 stoked. I I hope I know that what we're going to get into is that there is a lot of discussion and a lot of back and forth and hurt feelings and everything and drama and everything else that, that comes with investments like this, but that I listening to you and listening to the podcast and just knowing you over the past couple years it seems like even with all of the problems that may come with this it seems like it's a better place than crit racing is dead which seemed like the the way things were going not five years ago
0: yeah i mean if you look at the very real fact that in october of 2021 the national criterium series imploded completely imploded and we were sitting there wondering if there would be anything that would unify the entire world of criterium racing in 2022 and beyond or if that was it if that was the end of it you get to go to one or two races here or there but then the ACC came around and it with its media coverage reinvigorated what was a you know kind of a a starting point of, of a broader conversation. And we got the NCL and crit now has come up. There's other leagues or series like nocturne that are kind of in the background that it's, it is exciting to be a part of the criterium racing scene in the United States in 2023, looking towards what's going to happen in 2024. It's kind of like this entire year is one giant proof of concept And it, it could be the greatest thing, but also if you fail all that money that just came into the sport might go to combat juggling or to pickleball or to whatever it happens to be like, that could be your big thing. But before we get one step closer with the ACC, the NCL or crit, we need to talk about what was legitimately the biggest race this, this weekend. The biggest crit-esque type race this weekend, which was a national championship held in a garage in Arlington, Virginia. Bill, tell us about garage racing.
1: Rob, I want to commend you that you said garage racing national championship and we're on Zoom so I could look you in the face and you did not roll your eyes. So I know that I know that (laughs) took a lot of control. And training, legal training, to be able to to do that. So kudos to you. But yes, we we held the first ever Garage Racing National Championship this past weekend in. Uh, national landing, uh, which, um, the specifically crystal city, uh, underground two levels underground. We had a, a two, two tier course. So there was some elevation and some descending involved in it. Uh, I think the, it was an interesting, you know, we've done this in the past. We've been doing it since 2015. We moved venues this year. We went back to a more central location in, in crystal city, sort of on their main strip. And since coming back to this garage they've resurfaced it and and what everybody always worries about these garages is that it's super slippery and that's kind of a double-edged sword in that the the sharp end of the sword is that it's easier to go down if you don't have thicker tires and and less uh tire pressure the other the duller side of the sword is that unlike uh a road crit when you slide on the uh, shiny pavement, it doesn't, you know, take away all of your skin. So uh, the the garage we were in this year actually had like some some texture to the ground. So skinny tires were back, and people were like leaning into turns, which was great. But then the, you know, handful maybe three or four people who actually, you know, took it a little too far and and went down definitely had um uh, a little more road rash than than we've seen in the past. But but overall amazing event uh we handed out a, a uh, national championships in fixed gear categories and men's open categories female uh, women's category we had a non-binary championship race junior races it was a cool two days uh, I, I i love it i I'm, I'm so stoked that i get to be involved in this event it is crit style racing and um yeah if you're uh if you see it come up on your calendar next year, uh, come out and do it. It's a it's a fun event.
0: And the, I think part of it is this attitude that goes with the garage races, that it is both non-serious and serious all at the same time. Like there is room for, there's room for the mullet.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it, to the, even to the extent that We have what I have called the Anything Goes Race, which is at the end of the day on Friday, which is basically, it's just a kind of a costume party on wheels. You show up whatever you want. We had, you know, drift, like oversized big wheels in there. We had people on rollerblades. We had just cargo bikes, everything in there. Just go out there, have fun in the garage. And then, you know, yeah, at the front end of the fixed gear race, the front end of all the open championship races people people are racing hard and they're they're going for it and it's pretty awesome to watch we have some really compelling racing going on and you know it's it's a uh, it's the kind of thing that you and i talk about and i think we'll talk about here that that i think why we like this style of racing you know i i look at cyclocross and even how xc racing has evolved and especially short track mountain bike racing and criteriums it's it's a really fan friendly sport in that you get to see the racers multiple times you every couple minutes you're seeing them again so for garage races same thing our laps were a minute 45. So you could just be there in one place. You could see the race situation, go around the bend, catch them on the backside, they disappear for what 45 seconds, and then you're seeing if anything has changed when it comes back around. So I I think it truly has that that same appeal that we love in this this style of racing, as opposed to point-to-point racing, which is also amazing, but it's just a almost a completely different sport.
0: They definitely cater towards two different audiences. Not in the sense that it's catering to two different people, but it's two different means of presentation. So one of the critiques that's often brought up about criterium racing, and I think it's apt to cyclocross as well, and I think it was one of the points that the NCL was trying to make about their new style, where it was team-based and it was points-based as opposed to winner-take-all, is this concept that the fan can't understand from their static position within the, the the course, what's happening? You know, because they come around and the person who's leading the race isn't winning it necessarily. And I think that's, I think that is a disservice to the bike racing fan, even the casual fan at Arlington, at Armed Forces, at Clarendon or, or DCCX or wherever you happen to be. Like there are casual, casual fans who just walk up and they're like, what's going on? I don't understand any of this. But like how long does it take to legitimately explain to a beginner curious person enough for them to enjoy the sport do you think
1: Well that's a th- th- that is a thing I I I think that that is a a bit of a false criticism and, and 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 I've heard the same thing that it's hard to just jump in and see what's happening but the thing is if you are curious I I think that if you are going up to a crit and you ask any person who's watching it nine times out of 10, they're going to be more than happy to share their knowledge of the sport to you. And it's, it's really easy. See those two women right there who are ahead of everybody else? Well, we're only 20 laps into the race, so they're doing something and it's good and they're working for these other people, but nobody really expects them to win the race. So you see this other group out here, they're probably going to catch them eventually. So that's a cool thing to watch to see if that ever happens or see that if other people get them and like explaining and explaining why it's exciting is is not hard to do. Uh, And I don't know if you want to get into the NCL, but I I watched that race and. It was more, it, it, it <laughs> on one level, it was easy to understand, but on another level, it was more difficult, I think, as a North American sports fan to understand. So
0: let's talk about it chronologically. NCL, ACC, crit. That's kind of the path that we're going to take here in this conversation. So NCL put on their first event in Miami Beach at the beginning of April. We had had uh, coverage about what was going to happen before it happened, and some people were critical of our coverage, saying that we were overly critical of the NCL. Um, I disagree with that, but what if that's your opinion? That's your opinion. It's fine. We can disagree there,
1: but can I can I jump in and ask ask what the criticism it was or any specific criticism on how you were too hard?
0: I think the criticism was that we should be thankful for the fact that people had brought money into the sport and that something new was being tried. And I don't think that was our criticism. Our criticism was directed at the lack of transparency and the short time frame between when the episode came out and when the actual race was to happen, how you would expect in a professional organization to have more information available, like the names of the teams or how the rules were gonna work or how this pit in substitution part of the race was going to work, and that just didn't exist. And I think, and this might be tooting my own horn a little bit, the coverage that we put out there forced the NCL's hand. It forced them to designate more teams. It forced them to explain things better. And I, I do feel like what we did was legitimate news gathering and news reporting. And it forced an organization to 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 put up, you know, to put some skin in the game, which I think is fair in the way that media is supposed to be with newsmakers. So I didn't I did not and ever want to be critical of what they were doing in the sense of like trying something new, but it was just how they're going about doing it.
1: I think a lot of that, I understand I understand that knee jerk reaction to say, hey, shut up. We may have a good thing going here. Look at all this money. Let's just see what happens. We should all be in favor of this where they may just pick up their toys or dollar bills and, and go home. But at the same time, and and you and I had these conversations where I was like, hey, if somebody wants to like invest millions of dollars in this, we should like support it because that just doesn't happen. But at the same time, you have to know what you're supporting. And 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 what I heard from what is being called criticism of it was more curiosity. It was more just like, what is it we're going to be watching? And and that was that was my issue too. And I, I understand it from a organizer's point of view as well in that they're in the weeds on this they want to make sure that they're they have all their ducks in the row and they may not know where those ducks are going necessarily going right up to the race because they're trying to figure everything else from permits to teams to whatever and then they have this kind of rule structure in place allegedly and and just getting it there and the thing that a lot of times gets forgotten is the people that you're doing this for and in the end it's not really the racers and again this is a conversation that i know we have a lot we have it in cyclocross as well i have it in mountain biking at the professional level race organizers are not should not be catering just to the racers they are catering to the spectators. They're catering to the, the 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 people that they're trying to bring in to watch their product. They want to make sure the product's good, but it's not just driven to make sure that these guys and women are having you know a good time. It should be that they're putting on a good show that everybody else can understand and enjoy. And I think what you were doing was trying to figure out. What is the show that you are presenting to us? Because we don't know. We don't know how it works. You have this pit thing. We don't know how that works. You have this qualifying thing. We don't know how that works. And they did a really n- not a great job uh, on the marketing end of explaining that to the people that they expected to watch this race. So I, I, that's what I saw a lot of what your criticism was. And I think the problem is you use words like transparency and people see that as a heavy blow word. That's why I'm more like curiosity. I just want to know, tell me what's going on. It's the same thing, Rob, but it's just like, you know, maybe not as hard.
0: No, that's a, that is fair. That's a fair critique of the way that we approached it. I want to say that the NCL did a great job in putting on a top quality event. They have done three things that I think are phenomenal and should be lauded. First and foremost is bringing in non-endemic sponsor money. Bringing in a lot of money from people who don't have skin in this game of bike racing. It's not specialized in Trek and whatnot. It's different sources of money from outside of the sport. That's great. And to answer the question that we asked during our preview show of it, it was would those athletes who are the marquee investors be there At least three of them were there. We knew because we found out that they were there. They were in the VIP tent. That's great. I don't know if they enjoyed the show. I sure hope they do. I sure hope they enjoyed the money, the show that their money gave them. So let's keep them in. The second thing that the NCL did that should be lauded is paying riders a, a above market rate wage for what they've done. We've heard rumors that the NCL was having financial difficulties before the Miami race. We have not heard rumors that they're not having financial difficulties now. So it's just rumors that they had three and a half million dollars invested. They had already spent four and a half million. Again, these are rumors, we can't confirm them. One of our big concerns was that they would not make payroll for their riders. Well, it's the end of April, it's the beginning of May, they made payroll for that month. The riders who are a part of the NCL have told us that they got paid. That is the primary thing that we were worried about is what happens to these riders. Are these riders going to have their contracts fulfilled? And to this point, they have. That is laudable, that is exceptional, and the NCL should be commended. And the third thing is they put on a product that was watchable. They put on a product that people enjoyed. They put on a product that got people to turn on their their streaming services or GCN Plus and watch it and and have a discussion. I have had numerous follow-up discussions from the NCL from people who said, this was interesting. I enjoyed it. It was engaging. But I've also had numerous conversations with people who said, this was really dumb. It was gimmicky. It just didn't do it for me. But you know what? I like college basketball. I do not like NBA basketball. Don't have a really particularly good reason. It's just the way it works. And if this is something that will get a person who's a bike racer to watch more bike racing, or if this will get somebody who is not a bike racer to watch bike racing and go, this is kind of interesting, I'll do it. Like, good on you. They put on a $2 million bike race, easy. And they put on a very well televised and broadcast race end of story
1: yes and and i think that the the people who enjoyed it awesome you have that base then you have those people that are are evidently engaged saw a competition there that they could follow and thought was compelling I, i i think there is something between that and just saying it's stupid like I watched it, and I mean, we're on a text chain together about this kind of stuff. And I just kept like throwing out look on my own plot podcast, one of the things i you know periodically do is throw out things that I know out of the the out of the box ideas people are going to hate. you know that that's kind of like a theme that i that I go through. And I was like, okay, maybe you know, what can we do to make make this more compelling? and and so a couple things that I saw here, and again, I don't maybe you can answer this for me in the upcoming NCL races, do we know if the women are always going to race first or are they going to flip-flop that?
0: My understanding is that the women will always
1: race first. So I think that that is an issue because what we're seeing here is that this is a team sport, right? So when I coached basketball and the people that I was taught basketball for you know, everybody's always wants to be in the starting five in basketball. That's a huge thing. That's a huge team sport thing. That means something. That means that you are the best on your team if you are starting the game. And our philosophy was always, it's more important if you're finishing the game. If you're in there when it's crunch time, then that's, that's who really matters. It's the end. So one of the issues that I have with the NCL is that you are always going to have the women first. They only play up until halftime. So they can they can be a a proponent in getting and the because the teams carry over from the men's from the women's event to the men's event. so the your women's half the team are, are basically like a starting pitcher. They can get you there, but they're never closing it out. And you know, it's always the end of a game or the end of the race. that's the most exciting. So I think that's that's one thing that I would love to see change is that give these women teams the opportunity to close out these events since that second half in most instances is going to always going to be the most important the first half is building that base but who wins the event is going to happen in the second half if it's always going to happen with the men i think that's a disservice
0: and that's something that they try they were trying to do with the uh usa crits towards the end of its existence is they were flip-flopping who was the marquee event, quote unquote, of the day. Uh, you know, I know I, I, I can see your, your facial expressions. You think I'm going down the wrong path, but at least, at least they were switching it back and forth so that, you know, the fans didn't become accustomed to one thing or the other. They, they were forced to engage in both and therefore had a bigger or better opportunity to get interested in the other. It's like, you know, if you only ever have the NBA presented to you, you don't understand that the WNBA can be equally as engaging. But if you suddenly have on Saturday a WNBA game where you're expecting the Miami Heat, you know, to play against the Oklahoma Thunder, you're like, oh, wait, what's this? Oh, those women are really good.
1: Can I jump in really quick just about, about what you were saying with that? The, the My point is that this is all a cohesive. It's all part of the same sport. What you're saying is true, and it's nice to flip that around and possibly get new audiences. In, in my world, we've seen that used uh, in bad faith, in that when the World Cups in cyclocross – first started coming to the u.s the they made this huge deal about how the women were going to race second you're going to have the men race first and then you're going to have the women race second and then the 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 the, the marketing spin on that was like this is, we're showing equality we're showing you know we the the women used to race at seven o'clock in the morning and nobody cared about them in a the cyclocross now we're putting them in the most important spot at the end of the day. Well. It turned out that what they really were doing were making sure that the men raced at a reasonable time, say two o'clock in the afternoon in the Midwest, so that they were racing at eight o'clock in Europe at night where everybody was still awake. And then by the time the women raced, it was 11 o'clock at night and everybody could go asleep because, you know, in Belgium, they didn't care about the women's race, but they were trying to spin it as look at what we're doing. We're great. People we're equal. We're putting the women last. So that's that's that was that was that was my facial expression for when you were saying they were trying that. That's where that comes from. Is that we've seen this done before, not in good faith.
0: Good thing we've only got four time zones in the United States where crit racing is king. Uh, as much as I want this to be all UK corner esque, and you know they're going to just have to live on the stream uh, the next day, but. You know, one critique, one fair critique that we did hear a lot of with the NCL is just the disparity of talent between the two endemic NCL teams, Miami and Denver, and the others. Uh, You know, the the race for first and second were effectively over by halftime. The way that the women's teams raced, they racked up all the points that they needed that they the men didn't even need to take the field except to determine who came in third. You know, the points do not carry over from race to race to race. So, you know, what happened in Miami is now done and dusted. You don't carry over those excess points to Denver, which will be the second race. So uh, along the same line, it was refreshing, to see how well a team like Texas Roadhouse did or Goldman Sachs EFTs did because like they are the team that came in third, that combo of those two. And like they really went at it, they went at it hard. But then you look at other teams like Volley Factory Racing and Roxo, they scored a combined one point, which is interesting because they had the, the pole position which kind of indicates that that pole position wasn't as, uh, you know, prestigious a goal as it might be in F1 or in, I I don't know, maybe in cyclocross where getting the whole shot is is king. So you only can play with the people who show up. It's like why I think that the critique that Pidcock's world championship is not as good as another world championship because Matthew and Wout weren't there. But, you know, like when it's an invite only situation and the two teams that are endemic to the organization end up running away with it as much as they did, it kind of decreases not only the, the, the outside interest in it, but also the interest to stay put with it throughout the whole race. You know, it's like a fourth quarter NFL game where it's a 30 point blowout, like I love it, but like.
1: Ugh. Well, that that's I, I, the two two, uh, two different points to to hit on from from what you're saying. One, I think the F1 analogy is apt here because what we see in F1 is the haves and the have-nots. Yeah, I mean they're all billionaires, but at the same time, you have teams like Red Bull and Ferrari and Mercedes and now Aston Martin who can fight for a win for a long time. It was just. You know, for the last couple of years, it was just Red Bull and Mercedes who are fighting it out with Ferrari trying to get in there. And then everybody else is fighting in the midfield. And that's kind of what you're talking about with Texas Roadhouse and these other teams that they are really fighting for the midfield. So it it really is very similar to that F1 model where you can in your head, you can say, "Okay, this is for the winner. But this is still important because we get to see who's who's really the best of the rest. And that's that's exciting. And And I think that that covers that that goes through. These other disciplines we're talking about, like cyclocross, like cross country mountain biking, where you're still, you still want to see that top 10, and you still, those battles still exist farther down, even though they're a dominant team. So that's, I, I can see a little bit where that's maybe okay, but I also agree that it's, it's a little, Odd that the no, not odd. It's just sort of set up where two teams are set for success, and everybody else is kind of scrambling. The second point that you make about the fourth, the blowout in the fourth quarter—that's that's that's the part of the this game that I think needs fixing because you you could be you could have ten laps to go. And the winning team could just sit up and chill out and have a zone two ride for the final 10 laps, knowing that they had already won the event. And without it being cumulative, it doesn't matter. That's why I'm looking at our text change from when the race was happening. And that was my question. I was like, is this cumulative? Because that's what I wanted to know. Because if it is, then they're still racing. Because then there's still an incentive to race. Because if these points are carrying over for a, a a full series, then you want to continue to win those laps. If if they're not, then what's the point of even racing at the end of the race? And I think that's the that's the the disconnect that a lot of people watching this happen. That you cross the finish line at the end of the race, you get nine points instead of three. It's it's not enough of an award or reward to make that final lap matter. And it it was even so bad, and I know, and I don't, having been in this position, I I don't like criticizing commentators, but the, the woman who finished the last lap first posted up. Because that's what you do at the end of a race. <laughs> that's what you should, she's been doing her whole racing career for criteriums. It's the last, it's the bells ringing. I'm going as hard as I can. I made the right move. I crossed the line. I'm putting my hands up and they're giving her a hard time for it. I'm like, don't do that. It's like, this is a whole new concept. Everybody's trying to figure out, let's not mock the people that are, you know, doing what they've done their whole career, go across the finish line first. And now you're telling them, Hey, dummy. That doesn't matter. That was weird.
0: Yeah, I was trying to come up with a driving on the British side of the road analogy there and getting all excited when I don't run into somebody and kind of posting up after a drive. But that just didn't seem to work. The the thing about the NCL, like it, hate it, whatever it happens to be, we're left now in a position where we just don't know. You know, the second Race of the series was supposed to be in early May, but it got postponed. It was supposed to be in Atlanta. The permits that we saw for it were for around Centennial Olympic Park Plaza. Those permits were canceled by the promoter. Uh, when I asked them why they had canceled that permit, they said, "Well, they had multiple venues and they had multiple permits." I wasn't gonna, you know, fact check them on that, but whatever they've postponed that race to the end of August. So what was second is now third. And the race has been moved out of downtown Atlanta to the Porsche test track facility near Hartsfield-Jackson International. A little bit more, I don't know, antiseptic of a location than Centennial Olympic Park Plaza. But the second event still now will be in August in Denver. That gap between April and August is kind of a buzzkill because you had a successful launch you had people interested you had buzz you had articles in fellow news cycling tips cycling news wherever it happened to be you had podcasts talking about it you even had a great a marginally done recap video by GCN about what had happened in the race and now all that goodwill, all that hard work has four months of time for you to go. Is that worth it? Should I watch again in August? It's a lot of dead space.
1: Yeah. In a perfect world, I, I, I think that you want and th- this is what I hope for it for for crit racing in general. And we'll get into these other leagues and series that 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 are out there is that it's it's it's. It's good if all of them can succeed and there's an opportunity here for all of them to succeed during the season and not have to compete against each other. If you were to have the NCL go for how many how many events is it Four. four events, even if you took six weeks to do it and you just like just barnstorm through that. And got all of those events, then you're absolutely right. You're carrying that momentum, you're carrying that narrative. I mean, now people are gonna to have to go back and say, What happened in, in Miami? What do you know? And and try to remember what happened for this second race, where if it's just bang, 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 then you have a series and you have storylines and you have a narrative and you have you also have people. Being able to peak for those events and be in the same form week after week after week. Now, you know, you're putting people in a position. And I know they're racing other races, so they 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 have their plan. They have where they're going to be for this. But it's not necessarily Denver. If Denver is in a race, then they are compromising themselves for anything else they're doing in between that. If this is the the only series that they are going to be competing in or or taking seriously so so i know i know and again i know logistically it's really hard for the for any race organizer and especially a series organized to figure out something like that a calendar that is cohesive and works but in in a perfect world it, they would be much closer i think a, a six to even eight week period to have the whole series would would be amazing and it, it's the same with my criticism for the rules that we already talked about it's like I just think there's a lot of room to to improve and change and I'm hoping that they see that as well. You know, this this is as you said, this is a proof of concept. I love that term. I use that term all the time and that's absolutely what it is. So we're just in 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 year 1 here and I think both of us want all of this want bike racing to succeed and and to thrive. So I, there's a lot of negativity I think around this. I I don't see that we're given here. I I, I I may be completely off base, but I'm like, there are changes that could be made that, that may make all this better. And I think that you are, you know, bang on in that. If it was a, a, a condensed calendar, the, that, that would make it much more exciting.
0: That was part of the initial pitch for crit. Uh, when I saw the initial sponsor deck for crit that was presented at a USA or NAPRD meeting, back in December, I think, was a six-race series spread out over eight weeks. So you had three weekends in a row, one weekend off, three weekends in a row, and it was all going to take place in September and October because it was kind of modeling after that Legion, you know, of Los Angeles into the lion's den end of October thing in Sacramento two years ago. And that, you know, if you could do that with the NCL or with CRIT or with anything— you know, it it kind of breaks things up. It's sort of like the Ardennes Classics, or you know, like the you know Belgian Holy Week, you know, and Cyclocross, those sort of things, where it's like, okay, cool, we are all focused right here, right now. Let's get to it. Let's do it. Let's rock this whole show, and then we can move on to what's next, because there is room within this sphere to have multiple fun things, multiple different ideas. We can do all of these things at once. No single one is going to take over all of them because there's just just too much inertia. So it brings us to the ACC, which is kind of the aberration of that rule because it is by nature the national series that's supposed to take place all summer long. We've had one race within the ACC, which was Athens two weeks ago. And Athens lives up to what Athens always is, it's a massive college town party. The problem with Athens is that it is a very subpar broadcast experience. Uh, If you are there in Athens and you are at UGA and you are three beers into the evening, the racing that happened there was phenomenal. Watching the lap of the field by those gentlemen in the the nighttime race was phenomenal. Watching the way that the women's race played out, which was a a lot more controlled environment than it has been in years past, which was just chaos, you know, was phenomenal. But when we are presented it on the live stream, we are presented with a below average grade broadcast performance. And I did talk to some people who were in the industry and and I asked him, why was this so bad? Why was this so subpar compared to what the NCL had done with its broadcast and what, you know, the ACC did the year before with, with outside? And it was, the response was, everything that you could do wrong, they did wrong. They used cameras that were set for studio situations outside. They used, you know, routers that were fighting with Wi-Fi bands that other people were using as opposed to dedicated. They were just not doing things well enough that it could be a good broadcast. And that's fine if the promoter's goal is to provide for the people on the scene. If that's what your your, your spectator experience is, it's just for the 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 people that happen to be in Athens, that's great. But you broadcast it out there. You broadcast it out there with broadcasters who are doing double time as both the PA announcer and as the broadcaster. Chad Andrews and Frankie Andreo are incredible, but when Chad is talking to the crowd, he's yelling. I'm turning it off. I am going on mute right there because I don't, I don't need that in my life. And so the ACC missed with Athens. They did such a phenomenal job last year with the broadcast. And the broadcast just failed this year. And it was very, very sad.
1: It's kind of funny, too, because these are lessons learned in kind of grassroots and up broadcasts that we've been seeing for over a decade now. All of the things that you mentioned are all red flags to not even have a broadcast. And that's, that's kind of the thing here is like, you are better off having no broadcast, having going back to Instagram stories or Twitter or whatever else and covering your race like that. And you are going to get a more positive response from doing that because the expectation of your viewer base is that it is low fi. There is no live stream available. These are the updates that we get and, cool we're getting some information once you say that you're going to broadcast your race you are competing against professional broadcasts you know at, at the top level you're competing against aso and and uh and the in the the ardennes classics and all of the great bike racing that we see and we're like this looks amazing why can't we do this at our own race well the reason you can't do it at your own race is those cost millions of dollars to do so you're like, okay, well, what do I need to pay? Well, I think at the lowest level, you need to pay 40, 50 grand to have a bare bones broadcast. And if you're not willing to do that, save your $10,000 and just don't even do it. Because it's not, you're not going to get any positive return off of that. And, and you're absolutely right. You need two sets of announcers. You need PA announcers and you need commentary in the booth watching the race on monitors and calling the action for the at-home spectator. That's just basic stuff. You need, you know, a minimum amount of camera angle so that you always have coverage on something. Yeah. You know, it's just it's it's crazy that we're at this point where we're still battling this. It's almost, you know, one step forward, two steps back as far as as far as broadcast goes. So that that's that's kind of my advice just from seeing this in cyclocross and mountain biking and other things just throwing up a camera and showing people the finishing stretch just just doesn't get it done and it doesn't win you anything in fact you're losing and i'd rather see you just raise you know throw that throw that money you save from a subpar live stream and make your prize pot go 5 deeper
0: and so the ACC's decided not to make it a rule this year that events have to broadcast that's a change they were talking about having a slick post race recap type you know bill shaiken classic uh wide world of sports you know product something similar to what the ncl did on the monday after the race but i haven't seen it yet i haven't seen anything which would indicate to me kind of a the only recaps that i've seen of athens and speed week and all those other races has been what i did on the podcast instagram account you know and That's just not what you're asking us to do. I do think we need to talk about systematically or, you know, yeah, yeah. systematically is the word I wanna use, about what the ACC is and what the ACC is not. What the ACC has tried to build itself is as a series, is a series of 10 events linked across the country. And what the teams have shown is that it's not a series. They are not taking this seriously as a series. They are taking it seriously as a calendar of the best or better events in the country. They will pick and choose which races to come to. They will pick and choose which venues they think best serve their schedules and their talent and their sponsors and everything. And so if you're a race promoter within the ACC and you're thinking that putting a big prize purse is gonna get people to come weekend and week out, I think that you're going to find 2023 to be a, a rude wake-up call. The There are great events within the confines of the ACC. There's not a single one that's a slacker event. You know, Toad is incredible. Intelligentsia, Lake Bluff is incredible. The Hill is incredible. And Gateway, Salt Lake City has developed a really great event, despite being relatively young. Littleton Littleton's always too dark. I can never see, but I've heard that it's a lot of fun to be at that race. Athens is great and wonderful. Like all these events are really, really good, but there's no unifying storyline. They're just, they just haven't created that.
1: How many days is toad? Toad is 11 days. All of those are in the ACC.
0: Only, only Grafton is a part of the ACC.
1: So just one one out of all of those. Okay. Same, same with Intelligentsia.
0: Same with Intelligentsia. It's only the second Saturday, like bluff.
1: See, that's part of your problem too, Right. Is is that it, well, just that that you're you're hiding your series races inside of these bigger events. You know, you have more races in one event than you actually have in the entire series, and it's just again, it, it it goes back to what you were saying. There there's no narrative there. Is there a overall prize purse for winning the ACC? Yes,
0: there is, and it increased this year over last year.
1: So how much is that?
0: Um, I don't remember the exact dollar number this year. Last year, it was 100000 divided up among various different categories. So like when Brandon Fury won the men's individual, he walked away with $10,000,
1: which is great. Yeah, but is that just that it, it does it become a consistency contest versus a talent contest? Like if you have the means, if you have the means to show up to all of these events and participate and get points, then don't you have a better chance of winning money than if you are necessarily the most talented racer at a handful of you know what I'm saying? Like the most talented racers may not be able to go to all of these events, so it's the person who shows up the most.
0: Well, the hard part about last year is that Legion chose not to participate, but still decided to show up. And a lot of people don't realize that when they look at the scores and you look and you see Monk won and then you see Maggie Coles-Lister won. But then you look at all the times that Ty Magner from Legion of Los Angeles ended up winning a race or all the times that Kendall Ryan or Skylar Schneider ended up winning a race. And you're just like, but how is Colavita the best team in the country? How was Best Buddies the best team in the country? It's because Legion... Chose not to participate
1: in the event, so they don't even get the points for for the being in those ACC races. They they just were excluded. So you have to like you have to opt in.
0: No, you didn't have to opt in. They just actively opted out.
1: But they couldn't have won just by default. This is, I'm I'm so confused by this.
0: They could have won by default, but like Ty Magner won uh, Boise and he won Lake Bluff two races within the ACC last year his winning points never existed the only point that the first person that got awarded points was second place got awarded points so luke lamparade gets second place and i can't remember who won lake bluff maybe it was clever that seems like it would be his kind of race to win
1: but but how does this work like we got this gravel series going on lifetime grand prix they say okay we are anointing these 70 riders as lifetime grand prix riders. And I I that was my criticism. And I even talked to the organizers of this. I was like, hey, you guys put out the results for these races. You know, you put out like Sea Otter last year and it, you only list the people who are in the series, but that's not the 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 <laughs> who finished the race. So I had I had people at Sea Otter, you know, Tobin Nortonblad got fourth. He's he wasn't in the Lifetime Grand. He is this year. He wasn't last year. And people were like, did Tobin get disqualified? I didn't see his name on the results. So I was like, no, those were just the Lifetime Grand Prix results. But for that, they chose these people. They had different number plates. They were like, you all are in the series. Uh, I still not grasping how ty magner's points never even showed up on the acc where was their paperwork done was there what happened is that they were not in this what is the behind the scenes machinations going on that some people are in the series some people are not in the series this fascinates me rob
0: it 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 makes no sense legion walked away from 25 or thirty thousand dollars in prize money last year They just chose not to collect it because they opted out of the series.
1: So Legion proactively said, I see what you're about to do here. You're about to give him points. Don't do that.
0: That's I I don't want to say that's exactly the way the conversation worked, but like that's the the end result. The end result is that you look at the tabulation of points and you will see no Legion riders anywhere in there.
1: And only 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 Legion.
0: Legion. So all of Team Mac, if they scored any points in any of the races, they got their points. All of the Miami Blazers, Clever Martinez, who was on the Miami Blazers last year, finished in the top five in the series. Now, Miami Blazers is a Legion product or a Legion-affiliated team. They count it.
1: Is this like the live in the PGA? What's going on here? I am This, this fascinates me.
0: I have no idea. I don't understand it. I wish that somebody would explain it to me. I don't know if that's how it's going to play this year, either. Like if Legion, Austin Aviators, and Miami Blazers show up at, you know, Boise Twilight and they go one, two, three, will they not score?
1: But they're they're still taking the prize money, right? They're not like leaving the prize money on the podium. They're taking
0: the prize money from the race. From
1: the race, right. But not from the series.
0: So kudos to them for overlooking that or just choosing that they were bigger than that. I I don't know, but you know, there's a lot of theories as to why they did it, but I've never seen it explained to me. So going back to this idea of a calendar versus a series, you know, we talk about, and this is something Meyerson talked about when he came on, there's multiple ways to crown a champion. There's multiple, multiple ways to say who's the best or what are the best. The ACC has established these 10 races as the races that you should come to. Regardless of whether or not you do the full series and you compete across, you know, one, two, three, four, five, all the way to 10, you should come and do these races. And I think that's a huge success. It's a huge success for bike racing as a whole to say to the community, hey, these are our marquee events. It doesn't include armed forces, it doesn't include all of intelligentsia, it doesn't include Manhattan Beach or Dana Beach. Like, there's, there's a lot of races that aren't a part of this, but and a lot of races that probably should be a part of it that aren't included, but at least you're saying, here's the quality. We are living up to a minimum standard of quality, a minimum standard of competition, a minimum standard of everything, so that at least we have a benchmark. And that's that. I think that's where the ACC succeeds, much more so than as a series of races that provides a competition. Because right now, I just don't see it being a unifier. I see Gateway being incredible. I'll be there. I see Intelligentsia being incredible. I will be there. And if you broadcast these in a quality manner, I am watching all of them. Even if it's just a replay and remind me what happened.
1: I think the way that people follow series has has changed as well. I, I, we see this in amateur racing a lot in that like, 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, you look at crit racing. You and I are in the Mid-Atlantic we We saw it with the the bar. We saw all of the you know, for the for crits. We saw the super Series and other sportive series in in Cyclocross and the mac and and all these great series. And we took them very seriously as amateurs. And that's just kind of the way we were raised on bike racing. And I think that that has gone away. i I don't think I, I just think the way that people approach sport and participating in sport, is more of a one one one-off experience and and accumulating points and and participating in a series doesn't seem to have the same appeal as it used to. So saying that I think some of these racers who are now at the top of the sport came up in a amateur setting that didn't put as much emphasis on series. So I think that these teams that are coming up here, these team formations and managers, I just think that the whole concept of a series has changed over time and doesn't hold the same importance and that's what we're saying and even even as as uh, social media and coverage, you know there is no traditional coverage of any of this so the, the the coverage of it has changed as well where it is very localized. you're not looking at big picture, you're looking at, reels and stories and tiktoks and and you you know god i sound like an old man when i said tiktoks (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um you you know and that's that's what people either i don't know if they want it or not but that's what gets the most views so that's what gets produced so you're not getting producing a narrative is harder and harder to do because it does not get the engagement or the return on investment that it used to.
0: I mean, it comes it comes down to also to marketing and to money. And you will watch any NFL game. You can watch an NFL game in Seattle, you can watch it in Vegas, you can watch it in Chicago, Detroit, New York. You're gonna get the same commercials. You're gonna get the same marketing. Bud Light, Chevy, you know Lexus if it's around Christmas time because you everybody buys a Lexus at Christmas time right at least that's what their commercials tell me you you will see these national brands bonding across the story arc line of a football season or a baseball season you don't see that in bike racing where these different people or organizations bond nationwide you know if you look at Momentum Indy they are focused on Indianapolis why would they market to Athens, Georgia? St. Francis Health is Tulsa. St. Francis Health is a is a hospital system. They don't have interest in what's happening in Lake Bluff, which is Intelligentsia, which is a coffee company that's very popular in, in the Midwest. And then, you know, Primal or Denver Audi that handles Littleton, you know, like it's it's in the name, Denver. You know, it's just, that's what it is. And you don't have these unifiers. And until cycling gets to the point where there is a marketable approach across the country, and maybe that's what the NCL was, maybe that's what the NCL could be, is this marketable approach unifying, you know, events in disparate locations. But you're not going to see that. It makes a lot more sense to do a series in, you know, toad with Tour of America's Dairyland, where Quick is the sponsor because Quick is a endemic Wisconsin business. Uh, They also happen to have the West Allis Wheel of Cheese race and any race that gives out cheese is the greatest race ever. But I do think we need to spend a few seconds here, since we're talking about ACC, which is more traditional Criterium Racing, to pause and talk about Spartanburg. Now, Spartanburg, not an ACC race. Let's be very, very clear. It was part of USA Crits. It is part of uh, Speed Week. But Spartanburg is a germination of potential crit beef version, I don't know what we're on right now, 15.0. But it's something that needs to be addressed. So Bill, did you see the crash in the second to last corner at Spartanburg?
1: I did. I I did see it. And before we even get into the specifics of that i want i think this is uh, you this is the perfect segue into this into what we were just talking about because what it hit home for me and i'm glad that you brought up crit beef is that similar to what i was saying about how people watch sport now and how people participate in sport it's the same thing in, at any level. If you look at the NBA right now, I think that the NBA has more NBA fans who are more interested in the offseason and who's going to be traded to what team and who's going to play where than ever actually watching the game. So It's the drama around the sport that is much more compelling for a great number of people than the sport itself it's why the nfl draft and the combines are huge and where players are going to get picked and where they're going to go is almost bigger than the games themselves and and what we saw and you were in the middle of this with crit beef is that was the most engagement that crit racing had in a long time and I don't know if that's a good thing. I mean, you saw that at the end where it got ugly and it was, it started out and it was a fun thing and we were all into it and it was, it was good times. But at the end of the day, you know, people's got them emotions ran high and it just became less and less fun. And, 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 but that's the type of thing that people glom onto. And it's the same as what happened in this race where this, this was like, biggest story number 1 uh we're going to talk about crit but the the controversy around crit was biggest story number 2 i in my view not being you know as involved in crit racing as you are just being an outsider here that's what i saw as the two biggest crit stories of the last couple weeks it wasn't athens it wasn't anything else that was going on so we're still in this Thing where you want to market it, it's marketing it towards kind of the worst parts of the sport, but that's what that's what sells, and that's you know a, a story as old as time for as far as marketing goes.
0: So there's two aspects to Spartanburg. There's the tactical mistake, misjudgment aspect of it, which leads two people to be on the deck, one person with multiple broken bones, and then there's the 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 crit beefy part of it which is the the end result of the legion of los angeles justin williams instagram posts which got a ton of engagement next level engagements i i don't know i don't want to say good bad or anything the the second part the justin williams crit beef Is this, you know, comeuppance or is this poetic justice or irony? That part of the discussion is not what I think we need to focus on for right now for a podcast about criterium raising. That is a different conversation that needs to be hashed out at a different time among different people because it's just there's no good way to talk about it. But to talk about the tactical decision that was made at Spartanburg is Critical because Robin Carpenter from Legion of Los Angeles. I've had dinner with that man. I consider him to be friendly, at least an acquaintance. And now he has broken wrists. He's got a broken collarbone. He's got broken ribs because somebody made a tactical decision that he was not capable of doing. And so, with Spartanburg, you need to start with this understanding of what the course is like because. You know, Bill, you can verify this. TV cameras are deceptive, are they not?
1: Oh, absolutely. You can't, yeah. It, you you need you need multiple angles of everything to see what really happened. And just seeing one angle doesn't doesn't really tell a story. Well, it tells a story. It may not tell the correct story.
0: That's why you know, NFL replays are multiple angles, and different people can they overturn it with, you know, I can't remember what the standard is, like indisputable evidence. Spartanburg is probably the shortest criterium course in America. It's a, I think it's 814, it may be 849 meters in length per lap. It's four corners. It's a rectangle. Each corner is roughly, roughly 90 degrees. So the two short ends are maybe 100 to 150 meters in length. So the vast majority of the race is on these two straightaways. And corner number four, which is the ultimate corner where the crash happens, or corner three, excuse me, the corner that the crash happens is down a small hill, which the cameras never pick up, but it is a very small, slight hill, so you're already picking up. It is the narrowest corner of all four, and you're setting up into the most important corner, which is the finishing corner. Those guys are doing the 814 meters or 849 meters a little under a minute, so they're getting darn close to 60 kilometers an hour, 40 miles an hour. And so that amount of speed is going to take a narrow corner and make it even dramatically more narrow. The racing line is one line now, despite it being ostensibly a 90-degree corner. And so the first thing I need to point out is that that maneuver— where you dive bomb coming around the inside of another rider is a perfectly normal tactical maneuver in a bike race, in a crit. You do it in cross, you do it in mountain biking, you can do it in crit racing. It is a high risk maneuver because you are decreasing the level playing field that you have. No matter what, you no longer have full access to the road. Now you only have access to a part of the road because the other person is there. So the rider from American cycling group who I don't feel the need to name his name, but you know, the rider from American cycling group made a perfectly legitimate race strategy choice. He did it very badly.
1: and you're saying also i mean this is something that you said earlier before you started this discussion is just the the strategic placement of this turn 3 is that if you're coming into turn 4 you want to be in a certain position right so there is a there is an incentive to at least attempt that move to move up in that line to put yourself or your teammates in a position to have a chance to win this race. Is that, am I correct in that?
0: If you're not in the top three coming out of the final corner, you are not getting on the podium more than likely. The person who's in second place is going to win only by virtue of the fact that the person who comes out of that in first place is the final lead out rider. So in this case, you had Ty Agner, Robin Carpenter and Justin Williams lined up in a row for Legion. They had won that race. That race was over. Whether you like it or not, it's like, you know, being up by 20 points in a basketball game with 30 seconds left. There was only one human being in that race who had a chance of coming around Justin, and that was Alfredo Rodriguez from Miami Knights. He's the only person physiologically talented enough in that setup to come around Justin if he was on Justin's wheel, which he, which he was. He was right behind the American cycling rider. You can see him in, in the video. Their kits are, in the quality of the video that they had, their kits are very similar. So Alfredo was probably the only person who had a legitimate shot at getting on the podium there who was not named Justin. So, you know, when when the American cycling group rider came around, he came around too fast and too late. He needed to make that maneuver 100 or 150 meters beforehand, or at least start it.
1: Let's say, you know, recent history, best buddies go back farther, you know, UHC rally even farther than that Saturn, a team like this. Let's put them out there with Legion and let's say Legion has that outside line, which I'm hearing from your explanation is the the, where you want to be is the best racing line for setting up the win A, a, a team like one of those that I just mentioned comes on the inside of that in the past would we see something like that and have the skill level of a team of that caliber be able to pull that off and come through on those inside lines
0: yeah absolutely you would they just would have started their move a heck of a lot earlier than this rider did they would have gotten around ty and gotten in that spot where basically ty was Nobody's coming out of this situation happy. You know, when you do that maneuver, when you dive bomb like that, the rider who you are dive bombing is going to hate you. Because it's a very high risk maneuver. But if you pull it off, it's like a it's like a steal in basketball. If you pull it off, perfectly no foul, but if you hit their arm, it's a foul. Here unfortunately at 40 plus miles an hour, if you hit him, you are probably going down, and so is he.
1: Well, I was just going to say, so it, basically what it is is that he's, he's I mean, we're all watching F1 these days. He's braking too late. His, he's pulling his apex too far into the other racing line and just not giving them room. If he starts to move earlier, he comes out, he's able to go even farther inside and maybe have, have the opportunity to, to come out the other end unscathed.
0: Robin Carpenter laid it out perfectly well in a video that he put out over this weekend. That rider was not making that corner. One way, shape, or form, or another, he was not going to make that corner. He was going to end up in the barriers all on his own or going low side and just washing out. The only reason he did not crash is because he pinballed off of Ty Magner.
1: Is this a unique situation? So that kind of begs... Not begs that's a bad phrase. That that kind of brings up the next question, right? Is like why then is this one amplified? I, 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 Robin got injured, and that's definitely a reason to amplify it. But is is it beyond that? Is it sort of it, you sort of touched on it the legion effect from this? Without it being legion, is this just a bad move in a crit race?
0: I think without Justin's video and the Instagram posts that came later, it was a bad move that we would all look at and go, that was terrible, how do we help Robin? But because of it, because of the video that we could all see and because of the responses to it, it suddenly become this much bigger than life story. And it's a shame because the bigger-than-life story part of it is not about the tactics or the decision that was made leading into the crash. It's about everything that spiraled off afterwards. This is a perfectly acceptable teaching point for younger or inexperienced riders to say, if you're going to pull this off, go watch Maggie Cole's Lister do it at Boise. Go watch Luke Lamperde do it at Boise on Ty Magner. They did a dramatically better job, admittedly, coming around the outside and not the inside of pulling that same thing off. This is similar to what happened in Salt Lake City, where Michael Hernandez tried to come underneath Corey Williams, and we know how that ended. Michael hit Corey, pushed him into the into a, a kind of a rough spot on the road. He lost his wheel and then Unfortunately, the fight broke out later on because of overcorrections.
1: As a team leader, as a teammate, as a friend, as somebody who is going to battle with the same people week in, week out, isn't on some level Justin obligated to say something?
0: I think as a leader and an elder statesperson in the sport, because he is. He definitely is. He's been around for a long time. He probably has the largest following of any domestic bike racer in America, if not in American history. He has an obligation to stand up and speak when injustices or when something wrong happens or, you know, when he sees something that's just not right. I mean, it's by nature the way that we, we look to those people who are exceptional to tell us what should happen.
1: I'm talking more on a visceral level.
0: Is there ever a is there ever a right moment to do
1: something? <laughs> if you're the guy and this is a horrible and again, I I know this is a, a stupid dude way of looking at this, but if you're the guy on the ice that's just watching your teammates fight, you kind of lose respect of that. And that's like this is such a high you know, energy and high reaction sport that on some level, and I know, I, I, I'm i not saying that Justin necessarily did this perfectly and it could have been done differently, but on some level, I do respect that you're standing up for your teammates. I, I, I think something like that is okay. I think if... You're I think it's worth maybe rereading what you're writing and putting out there and possibly doing it in another way. But I think it's OK to be pissed off that your teammate is broken and is not coming back and that it could have been avoided. I I, and, and, and so just to say that, you know, he shouldn't be, you know, coming after somebody else and all of this kind of stuff. I, th- I think that if it's any other team that's doing that and any other team leader that's doing that, you're not getting the same reaction from it. And I know there's a whole lot of stuff going on on top of it. And, I you know, and this was even before the crit got announced and the whole kind of weird stuff going oh, on. Oh, no, it was after well.
0: it was after crit got announced.
1: Okay, but it was before the cycling weekly story oh, came out.
0: No, it was before. So all it of this, yeah, all right. of this compounds
1: on itself. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying that this wasn't, you know, there was already that reaction before this and then this. You're right. It just compounds it. But I I don't know, and I don't I'm just talking out loud. I don't know the answer to this. I'm just saying that you see this and you kind of want your people to stand up for you on on a certain level. But maybe there's a better way to do that i don't know so i'm just like staying quiet i just see as like well the guy's allowed to say something
0: and i don't want to tell him what he can and cannot do or should or should not do in this conversation because i i just don't i'm not him i don't know what he did after the fact did he go up to tom craven and american cycling group and say what just happened we need to talk about this. Did he have a conversation with the rider who did it and just said that, you know, like I don't even know if I as a human being could on Saturday night or Friday night, excuse me, at Spartanburg, have that conversation in a meaningful manner with somebody and say, you screwed up and not have it come off with a string of expletives. Like he is, Justin was going to get scrutinized for whatever he said or did not say. And right or wrong, that's the world we're living in. But my conversation that I wanted to have here was about the tactical decision. The tactical decision that led to a very negative outcome that nobody should take from this conversation that I'm suggesting that you should go out there and try this, because this is definitely graduate level bike racing right there.
1: Does there need to be a, a, a disciplinary review of of if a move like this rate is rises to the, a, a level of negligence? Should there be some sort of disciplinary review where the person who instigated this is punished?
0: I think that if a jury of qualified individuals takes a look at what the USA cycling rules are and what the spirit of criterium racing is. I hate to say that, but actually what the industry standard and practice is within crit racing. And they decide that this deviates substantially from the standard of care that a suspension would be appropriate. And I've had conversations with people about this this week where it's been like, do we need to institute something like this? Do we need a rules committee that'll look at this and go, That's an infraction, you're suspended for 60 days or 30 days. Two such suspensions in a year, then you are suspended for the rest of the year. It's just a way of establishing a a certain level of quality control. Because like it or not, there are human beings who are physically talented enough to race at that level, but who are intellectually not talented enough to do it safely. And I'm not saying that this particular rider is that guy. He just maybe he just made a mistake here. He, he was 40 miles an hour, and he just overestimated himself.
1: And, and and that's that's kind of the discussion that I think has to be had. And I, I I'm I'm in favor of having that sort of disciplinary review. Right now, we have disciplinary reviews for intent and intentional acts, intentional bad acts. Right, the people who punch each other should and do get suspended but something like this where i i used I'm, you know i used the word negligence before and i think that's that's appropriate here where you're doing something that's that you shouldn't be doing it may not be on purpose or not maybe there's no intent to injure somebody but your actions are causing this i think that's something that's worthy of a review every other major sport does that and and hands out suspensions and fines and everything else for it. And I think that if, you know, again, we didn't see all the angles, so there may be another angle that, that shows that this was a perfectly fine move and there was somebody else did something wrong. I, I'm not even judging that. I'm just saying that it is possible to have a review like this and sit down somebody for making that kind of mistake. And it can be a mistake and what that then – does is it sends a message to the rest of the field to say hey we kind of got to be careful here because not only are there consequences of us staying upright but there are consequences that we may not be able to continue racing if 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 you know we're gonna do stupid stuff out there
0: and i i would i think you're right i want to instead of saying negligence I would say gross negligence or recklessness. If this is deemed as reckless, then that would be a good standard. Uh, The way that Ty put it in his post-race comments was that the social contract as professionals was broken. That the rider who did this broke the social contract that they all have. And ultimately, when you're going that fast under those circumstances and that level of controlled chaos the only thing that we can count on is each other. It's like why when you're driving at 75 miles an hour on the highway, we are all relying on the fact that the other person's gonna stay within the white lines. We just don't have the benefit of white lines in bike racing. All you've got is your professional judgment. And if this rider was found to have deviated in a reckless manner from his professional judgment by those people who are capable of making that decision, not every human being on Instagram, then he should face consequences. And so hard segue, super hard segue, to the last thing, which is Crit, which is a short conversation, but potentially a lengthy discussion. Crit is a product recently announced by Justin Williams. And it is something that has no details, no teams, no races, no nothing. It's just a league that he wants to start. And that he and uh, Wasserman, which is a company that manages him, I believe, uh, have a fair amount of money from others involved in it. Great, wonderful. Justin and company did a great job with Legion Uh, Into the Lion's Den event that happened in Sacramento in 2021. The problem is, is that after CRIT was announced, the very next day, people came forward and said, no, 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 that's my idea. These are my connections. This is the money that I brought in. You have effectively stolen from me and I need to set the record straight. And so this is a breaking story. We don't know what we don't know here. And this is why I wish there was a lot broader cycling media that could get deeper into this and ask those difficult questions. Because since that initial pairing of articles came out, we've heard nothing. In the background, we hear quite a lot of anger. And that's always an interesting thing when bike racers start getting angry about money.
1: And a lot of that, I mean, it, it, it's not a secret. A lot of that anger in the community, is it, well, maybe it is a secret. I don't know. I'm talking. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know. Tell me. I, I. It might be a secret. No, the, it's, it's. 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 it's the Legion involvement in this, right? I don't
0: know if it's the Legion involvement in this. I don't know if it's the fact that somebody said that this is their idea when it wasn't their idea. A lot of this is going to play out in what the facts tell us about, you know, who came up with it first, who made the context, who's, you know, was the person initiating things. And it looks like, at least from the article that was written last week, the people who are claiming to have been aggrieved kept the receipts. They've got the emails, they've got the text messages. You know, we've been hearing about CRIT for five months now, six months almost, since its first initial discussions. We've heard a great degree of details about potential. You know, it's got a contract with so-and-so. It's got promises from this facility or this venue, these iconic places in the United States where you would have as a backdrop for a bike race. We don't know what Justin and his team, and I'm not saying this as Legion, I'm saying this just in, in the management team that made this initial announcement, what they were thinking and whether or not any of these allegations that have come across secondly are true. But if they are, this is the type of thing that ends up in, in lawsuits and litigation and lots of depositions.
1: Or maybe not. Because if you are counseling somebody who brings an idea to another party there are safeguards that can be put into place to protect your ip there's there's a thousand examples of people going into auditions and writing jobs in hollywood that uh, bring a character to a to an audition or bring or have a spec script and all of a sudden that comes out in something else and they don't have a leg to stand on because they didn't they didn't they didn't have an agree you know they were just like oh I saw this idea looks good and now they're using it there that's the thing it's like and I don't know what was put into place ahead of time but at this point crit racing seems like it's a big money proposition or wants to be and once that happens I mean you, you kind of have to protect yourself. I'm not saying that. It, I don't know anything about this. I just look at them like the other side needed to do more to protect themselves as well. Or maybe they did. I don't know. But that's that's just like if you're having a conversation with somebody and they're like, hey, that sounds like a good idea. I don't know that you necessarily can. Well, as um as we all know, Rob, you can sue anybody for anything. That's true. <laughs> you can always Whether or not sue. you can
0: recover is a different <laughs> exactly. question. Exactly. So this is one of those things where I wish we had more answers. I wish we had more facts, and I wish we had more details. But we've got none of those. We've got two competing articles and a lot of off-the-record conversations. And, you know, as tantalizing as it is, it's one of those where more to come, sorry, to uh, borrow the Nashville cyclists, Nashville local cyclist catchphrase, more to come. But, you know, it, it it's will evolve. And like you said, if there's money involved and it seems like there's more and more money in crit racing, this could, it could be creative destruction here.
1: Yeah. And I again, if somebody did have this idea, I want them to be, you know, in a in a perfect world, they're compensated for it or they become a, a partner on some level. I'm not saying that I, I'm against that. I'm just saying that it's like, you know, there there are lessons to be learned from these type of meetings when you have them and, and and how to handle them. And it's it's wild to even talk about this, especially coming from a sport like Cyclocross, where, you know, if this happens somebody might be out seventy-five dollars. Um <laughs> It's just <laughs> <laughs>
0: most crit racing is like that too. I, I want, I got third place in an Omnium and I got 30 bucks. So, I mean, that was well worth my three days of bike racing. So, uh, you know, that's, that's excellent.
1: Again, I don't, I, I, like the, I just see these stories and I, again, I, you know, I, I, Part of my role in the Wide Angle Podium podcast network is coming as kind of the the everyman and come in here and go, okay, what's going on? You know, and I did that on Grodio for a while and then got more involved than in I'm doing. I like to do it with you as well. Uh, from the outside looking in, it seems like I hope that something can work out for this. I hope that the Criterium community is able to embrace another series if there truly is money and it truly does work out because as I, as we started this, that'd be awesome. And I am jealous of all these opportunities. I know they come with a lot of drama, but I hope that in the community, that the knee jerk reaction isn't just to always be pissed off at everything. And maybe if you could figure out a way to to allow yourself to embrace some of these opportunities that are out there and even help build them. Boy, y'all, y'all could really, really do something.
0: I saw yesterday that Red Bull TV was covering the soapbox Derby. Adults doing the soapbox Derby on Red Bull TV. Combat juggling is on ESPN, uh, which Blows my mind and also fascinates me.
1: Professional tag.
0: (laughs) Dodgeball. It's not a joke. Uh, You know, we have this space in sport right now where we are being encouraged to find oddities. And people are investing real serious money in things that up until 2020 might not have ever seen the light of day. And I'm not saying ESPN's coming or Netflix is coming or whatever is coming, but I think what I'm trying to say is like, we, if we can get out of our own way right now and band together to at least not crap all over each other, we're in a good position. There's a lot of success out there. The NCL was a success in putting on its event with great coverage. The ACC has created a a very good product where we are now being told these are the races that will stand up to the test of time. Crit, we don't know enough about it yet, but like we've got so much potential and possibility. It would be a shame to waste it.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of what you just said comes down to all of these different entities figuring out who and what they are. I, I, I think the, the identity crisis in this is kind of what's driving a lot of the unknown. And once each of these different entities figures out what they are and how they can succeed in the space, I think there, there are going to be some really cool opportunities. And I look forward to following it.
0: Well, Bill, thank you so much for joining us. We will get you back on at the end of the year and talk about how great it was. I look forward to it. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the show. We're a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows. Special thanks goes out to, of course, my guest on today's episode, Bill Scheiken from Cyclocross Radio, a Wide Angle Podium contributor. If you want to support him or anybody on the show, go subscribe. WideAnglePodium.com. You can become a member there, and it's kind of cool, and maybe you feel good when you do it. We will be back again here next week with Kim Stovold from Automatic Racing talking about what it's like to be new to the sport yet still really damn good in it. So super excited to share that conversation with you. So come back again here next week and join us for more stories from our Criterium Nation.